0: this class or this session that we're going through right now we used to do this way back when we were over at the high school and we took uh, uh, eight classes to go through it so I have had to condense this (laughs) Um, and I may have over condensed it I have no idea so we have no idea what timing wise how we're going to do but we'll just start walking through it Um, I do want to try to get to the last at least get to the last section mainly because you'll see on your outline it says debt, and I always think that that's a hot topic, something that we can talk about. So um, so what I'll do is that I'll just start, and we will go through this. I mean, I and again, I haven't been through this in years, so bear with me as uh, we kind of fumble our way. A lot of scripture, a lot of quotes. So I'll be reading a, quite a bit of this because, you know, we, we rely on godly men, um, you know, who... Uh, who use scripture in order to be able to, to uh, figure out where our hearts need to be and that's exactly what this class is all about is build so that we can analyze our hearts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through kind of a quick outline here of what we're going to do and what we're not going to do in this class. So uh, so this class is basically, it's, it's not to tell how to achieve your financial goals, it's basically to provide answers on how to formulate your financial goals. So it gives you the tools, the things to remember. Um, We're not going to talk about securities, uh, but we're going to talk about security. We're not going to talk about insurance, we're going to talk about assurance. And we're not going to talk about principle, but principles. And a lot of the things that we go through today are going to be based on principles. You get principles and do's and don'ts. A lot of it's going to be principles, and it's, it's it's things that the scripture will tell us to to stay away from, or to go after. Says so we're not going to do uh, a net worth calculation on your assets, but we will see how God measures your life's worth, and see how you're doing with that. Uh, today we are not going to talk about investments, taxes, cash flow, insurance. We must first take a close look at what God has to say about money and his kids, his children. Okay, so Martin Luther once said, says there are three conversations necessary in a Christian's life. Conversation of the heart, and that's what you guys are doing. Conversation about the mind, that's what you guys are doing. And now we're going to talk about conversations of the purse. So, now, one other thing, one other caveat that I need to throw in, and that is that uh, each one of us, you know, uh, we still um, have sin in our lives, and it's something that we deal with and battle with all the time. And I'm not up here because I'm an expert, I'm up here because I've got some information I can dispense to you and basically help you understand what money means in your life and your assets and stuff like that so i'm going to quote john macarthur he says my family expects me to do everything i preach i've made mistakes you've made mistakes so we're here to talk about the mistakes that have been made and what can we do in order to correct them now the last thing that last rule i want to go over is um seek god's counsel seek godly counsel and that's Psalms one one, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or wicked. So guess what? When you guys are dealing with this subject, seek godly counsel. I find that too many times guys will go to ungodly counsel and they make big mistakes. So that's the the caveats. Okay, so now you'll see in the outline on the very top, you'll see a quote. And Smedley, if you guys, I don't know if anybody here has taken, was H3, it's now called the trust, Um, and you guys may do this afterwards. But Smedley will have what he calls a homiletical proposition. Guess what? This is the homiletical proposition. This is we, all we are and all we have, we received from God. Consequently, we and all our possessions belong to him. I'm going to repeat this as we go through this because that is the primary statement, you know, for um, uh, managing our, our funds and our money. Now, some of this stuff you guys are already know about, and it's, some of it's going to be review, some of it's going to be help you pull things together, but we're going to go over some of the basics first, and that's the first one is that he is master, and I'm going to use a lot of scripture in order to basically reaffirm that, to point it out, and I, be honest with you, I hadn't been through this for a while, and it's like, oh my goodness, I forgot about all this stuff, I forgot about how important it was in my life, so it, I think it'll help all of us kind of get, get to the point where we all have the same mindset as far as what God says about our, our, our funds and our, and our life. Um, how you view God determines how you live. One of 250 names, 250 names that God calls himself, one of them is called Master. Psalms 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth. Isaiah 45, 6, and 7, that men may know from the rising and setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other, the one forming light, creating darkness, causing well-being, and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. First Chronicles 29, 11 through twelve, Everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as being in control of everything. Riches and honor come from you alone, and you are the ruler of all mankind. Your hand controls power and might, and it is at, our, at your discretion that men are made great and given strength. So the name that best describes God's part in our stewardship is he's master. So the question is, is that do you, have you, acknowledged that he's master? And it's not just verbally. It's in your life, in your lifestyle. Okay, let's look at the Bible, see what the Bible says about how God is our master in the area of money and possessions. Okay, we're going to start with ownership. Psalms 24 1 through 2 It says the earth is the Lord's All it contains The world and those who dwell in it Haggai 2.8 The silver is mine And the gold is mine declares the Lord of hosts Psalms 50.10 For every beast Of the forest is mine The cattle on the hills This is all through Especially the Old Testament So the question is have you transferred in your mind ownership of, of what you own, of what you have, your earnings? Do, do, when we acknowledge God's ownership, every spending decision becomes a spiritual decision. Mm-hmm. So do you pray about your spending decisions? So no longer do we ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with my money? it's stated this way instead the question is is this lord what do you want me to do with your money you may have earned it but it's still not yours it says when we have this perspective spending and saving decisions are equally as spiritual as giving decisions so you most of us generally pray about giving do you pray about spending so consequently, we and all of our positions belong to Him. It's all His. And until you get that perspective, it's difficult to move on to the next steps that we're going to look at. So the question is, do you acknowledge that God owns everything? Everything meaning everything you that's in your possession. If He's the master, do we act like a slave? And slave in Greek is doulos. And every place in scripture where it says bondservant, that's doulos, that's slave. Gener- Gen- Genesis 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, so he created us. We know that. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.18-19 Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.20, we have been bought with a price. So there's two ways that God owns us. What are they? Yes, exactly. Through creation, he created us, and he redeemed us. So we are slaves to Christ, and a slave has no legal rights. We belong entirely to the master who has complete control. Slaves cannot own anything. So you go back to the, 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 the our purpose and what we are, we're a slave, and a slave does not own anything. Romans six sixteen. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? So slaves have to be obedient. So it comes back to that same phrase that we started off in, in the beginning. All we are and all we have we received from God. Consequently, we and all our positions belong to Him. I need to drill that in your head. I mean, that needs to be there. If, 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 if over time we get wound up in our, our activities and our job and raising a family and, and, and everything that's going on around us, you have a tendency of forgetting that because you get busy and you don't pay attention. So the next su- the next item that we got to look at is contentment. Just to b- to b- learn to be content, must rec- you must recognize God as the owner. So it's a progression. Recognize God's the owner. Now let's talk about contentment. Um, if you believe you own even a single possession, then the circumstances circumstances affecting that possession will be reflected in your attitude. Do you recognize that? Let me give you an example. How do you feel when you buy a new car? Sorry. How else? Dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> you, you keep it clean. You like to wash it. As time goes by, you don't like to wash it. <laughs> so, so, okay. so the next question is, is how do you feel when the, when the new car is dented two days later? So can you say this? Can you say this? Well, God, I don't know why you wanted a dent on the side of your new car, but you certainly have a big one. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's kind of how the attitude that we need to have. Um, if something favorable happens to that possession, then you're happy. If something bad occurs, you'll be discontent. So contentment can, can take over fairly quickly it is far easy to think that the possessions we have and the money we earn are entirely result of our skills and achievements we must understand and believe that we have not earned the right of their ownership we consequently need to be reminded that God owns all of our possessions he also owns us Psalms 19 the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expansion is declaring the work of his hands. Exodus nineteen five. For all the earth is mine. All the earth is mine. So what happens when you acknowledge that God is the owner of, of all we have? What happens? Pardon me?
1: Take
2: responsibility. Okay. You have the right perspective. Right?
0: Yep. Yep. What
2: else? you with what he does. Like mm-hmm. he your mm-hmm. car or takes away your money.
0: Okay. So what happens if, when you don't acknowledge that God is the owner of all we have?
3: Sin.
0: Okay. It's very easy to sin. Yep. Yep. And sin can be broken down into pieces. Pride, for example. What else? Contentment. Contentment. A discontentment that suffer thats a, a problem. Entitlement. Okay. Yep.
3: You not anxious if you don't have enough.
0: <clears throat> yep. What happens to stewardship? <clears throat> so that's going to be one of the next categories we look at is stewardship, but stewardship suffers and will define exactly what stewardship is. What happens to your giving? And I dare say that everybody in this room, including myself, have had that problem. What else? What else happens? (coughs) Don't you begin to feel like you've got some rights? before God in your assets so it's it's important that we acknowledge this and that we continually continually remind ourselves of this okay provision this is a interesting area um, so basically you know God has basically said that he will provide us provision. He will provide us with our needs. 1 Timothy 6-8 uh, He has not promised to provide our wants. He promises to provide our needs and he tells us to be content when these needs are met. So that means don't go past that. Don't, go, don't feel like that um, you're transferring needs for wants. So contentment in this area, in 1 Timothy 6, 7, and 8, and if if we have food and covering with these, we will be content. This is another measure of having turned over ownership. So that's pretty narrow. So what's the difference between a need and a want? And, and let's also be honest almost all of us have our needs met yeah. this is we so basically what we're looking at then is the wants so we don't have what we want what we what we want and desire we say the wrong thing I need a new car it's not correct basically you should be saying I I want a new car because a, a new car is not a need, it's a want. So First Timothy, Timothy 6.8 If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. A, new, a need is a, is a basic necessity of life, food, clothing, and shelter. So God's part in helping us reach contentment is that He has obligated Himself to provide our needs. He has not promised to provide our wants. So here's some rules pertaining to wants. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in in glory in Christ Jesus. Be content when God does not grant your wants. Be very grateful and give thanks when he does grant your wants. Remember that you are only a custodian of his assets. So, come back to the same phrase again. All we are and all we have we receive from God. Consequently, we and all our possessions belong to Him. So, what's discontent? It is not discontent to want a new car or a washing, new washing machine. Okay. The problem is, is to be discontent with the old car or washing machine when you cannot afford the new. What does that usually lead, lead to? That. Yeah. That's why we're going to talk about that at the end. A good measure of one's discontent and dissatisfaction is consumer debt. Um, people buy things they don't need with money they don't have. And discontent is the beginning of covetous, desiring more than one needs, desiring what another po- other possessions, and being greedy. So here's some scripture verses, real quick, that I, I just. In fact, you know what? Let's let's have you guys look them up and read them. So, who wants to look up Deuteronomy 10, 14? right over here, and Leviticus 25:23, right over there, uh, Job
4: 41:11,
0: and then Colossians
2: 1:17.
0: Okay, Deuteronomy.
2: Behold to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is given Okay. Leviticus
0: 25, 23.
2: The land moreover, moreover shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are but aliens and sojourners with me. Uh Job forty-one eleven. Who has given to me
4: that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine.
0: Colossians 117.
3: And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together.
0: There's no doubt. He's master, he owns everything. And the sooner we act like, act like that's the case in our in our dealings with our assets, the the more sanctified and the, and, the, and the more wisdom you have in how to handle them. So, Okay, now the next category, once we acknowledge what we just talked about that he's master, the next area is stewardship. This is the tough one. This is really tough. Okay, unless we understand his absolute ownership and see our relationship to him as our owner, we cannot approach the subject of stewardship in a meaningful way. Stewardship doesn't look like it's supposed to if you don't acknowledge that he owns everything. Yes, man is a creature and a dependent being. It follows that he is a stu- steward not an owner. We're going to define steward in a minute. 1 Chronicles twenty nine fourteen. All things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. Think about that verse. All things come from you and from your hand we give you. What is that telling us?
5: He's giving to you so you can give back to him.
0: Yeah. And he's in control of what you give.
2: What passage
0: was that? Pardon me? What passage was that? That is first Chronicles twenty nine fourteen. So this is this is a prayer of thanks that God gives all credit and even for the people's generosity. So what's a steward? So the Greek word used for stewardship means economy. All right, and so let me define that. It's careful management of wealth, resources, avoidance of waste (coughs) by careful planning and use, thrifty or thrifty use. So you are in control and you are managing the assets, just like a slave. Just like a slave back in Rome, you know, slaves would manage the owner's assets. Can you
2: repeat
0: that definition? Uh, careful management of wealth, resources, avoidance of waste by careful planning and use, thrifty or thrifty use. So this means it's somebody that manages someone else's household. A steward is a trustee or agent for the benefit of the owner. So does your money and possessions belong to you? No. Do your kids belong to you? No. Same thing. So, so what are stewards of God's assets? A steward must be faithful, honest, have integrity, and be loyal. The steward must lay aside self-interest and think only of the welfare of the one whose property he is handling. That's pretty lofty responsibility. So this requires you know, complete surrender. You, 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 you need to have complete surrender in order to be a steward of that magnitude. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice according to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. Have you yielded your whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the question. 1 John 4.19, We love because he first loved us. Why do we imagine that we could ama- manage our lives better than he could? comes back to the same old thing. You're the slave. We're the steward. So how much do you trust God? Do you trust Him to show you how to be a good steward of His of His assets? That needs to be in your prayers regularly. The love of Christ now controls me. Any property I have, as well as my life itself, is seen as a divine stewardship. So if the above is not a part of your life, then your attitude about giving is not spiritual. This comes first, then giving. Now we're going to talk about giving. Says so the biblical steward is a is commanded to give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, reluctantly or under compulsion. This is a big difference between Old Testament and New Testament. So tithe is what you use, what we call giving from the Old Testament. Those are tithe. It was an obligation commanded to the Israelites under the law. And the tithe portion of what you gave was 10%. Genesis 14.20 he gave, he gave him a tithe of all. So we are not under the law, but are under grace. So now what does it look like? Um you know there's no commandment in the New Testament that says a Christian must tithe
3: <coughs>
0: so what does it look like First Corinthians sixteen two, on the first day of every week let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper that no collections be made when I come so if you look at that verse and break it down the giving is constant and regular First uh, Corinthians 16 2 so it's constant and regular we can learn principles of stewardship from the Old Testament teachings but the manner of giving for the believer in Christ in this present day of grace is not based on legal obligation as it was in the Old Testament So if a believer decides in his own heart, out of love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will give of the earnings to the Lord, he is free to do so and will be blessed in it. But he must not do it as if giving were a legal obligation, and he must not do it with the idea that the other nine-tenths are his own to do with as he pleases without consulting the Lord. Okay? And it's, it, you know, the tendency is to go back to the 10%. And I thought that that quote was interesting because they used nine-tenths. The assumption is that the 10% is still being given. So uh, let me, l- let's talk about percentage. You know, it, you know the, the outline shows what percent. You know, it's kind of up to you guys. It's up to you what you, it's in your heart. And what we'll do is that we'll walk through and look at how do you manage that to establish what you want to, because it's regular and consistent. So therefore, you have to come up with something that's consistent. And the easy way is to do a percentage or a fixed amount. But you still have to manage yourself, manage your assets in order to be able to to uh, to do what what's up to you. So. What percent? I I I know somebody that's uh, in the church that has decided that what he what he does he's not gonna do ten percent, but he's gonna do eleven and a half. Why does he do eleven and a half? That's up to him. He came up with that process and that's what what makes him feel like you know, he needs to, to to do to do. So some believers use the Old Testament attention at measuring the stick believing that this ought to be the best that they that, 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 that should do as he has purpose in his heart so 2 Corinthians 9-7 let each one do just as he has purpose in his heart not grudgingly or under compulsion, compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver so the decision as to how much is left up to the individual believer That, that lends pretty big responsibility. And you'll be surprised from the statistics that I tell you when, when we get to that section. We have no right to tell other believers that they ought to give. It is our obligation to instruct others in the word of God and its principles and stu- of stewardship. It is each one as he has purposed in his heart. So Psalms 37.4 would be another verse to take a look at. We're not going to cover it right now. Luke 19.8. And then look at which is Zacchaeus. You know, he he did, what was it, 50% of what he had? So let's take a look at the rules for giving. First of all, all, it's uh, do not give begrudgingly or under compulsion. That's the first one. Be a careful giver and a cheerful giver still meet your primary obligations. First Timothy 5.8 The true motive in giving is not to receive something in return. It is a love towards God. Obligatory giving, especially if one tries to lay the obligation on another, is a form of legalism. And random, careless, occasional giving is a form of antinomian, antinomianism which is grace will abound and this, this brings up an interesting quote from uh, Martin Luther Martin Luther and I'm going to abbreviate it because it was a quite lengthy quote basically he says some Christians are like a drunkard who gets on a horse and he's so drunk he can't stay on the horse, and he falls off on the left side gets back on the horse, and he's still too drunk, and he falls off on the right side so one side's legalism, and one side is grace will abound, so it's like you can't stay on the horse you've got to stay in the middle you're it's not either either side it's in the middle so the decision on how much is left up to the individual. Okay, let's let's go back to the list. Um, did you all get that? I mean I think there was blanks on your handouts for that stuff. Okay. So okay, that's giving. Now there's another category of giving that we need to deal with and that's benevolence. So what's the difference between giving and benevolence? Pardon
1: me?
0: <clears throat> yeah, it's 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 poor, needy. It's uh, you know those who need help because of certain circumstances. So Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 8, that's that is a a good verse group of verses to look at to see what our responsibility is pertaining to benevolence. Let me just read, read through it. It's a little lengthy, but let's let's walk through it. If there is a poor man with you, one of our brothers in any of your towns in your land which the Lord your guide is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your, from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware lest there is a a base thought in your heart saying the seventh year the year of remission is near and your eye is hostile towards your poor brother and you will give him nothing then he may cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin in you you shall generously give to him and your heart shall be grieved when when you give to him because of this thing The Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. So do you guys understand the seven-year scenario? And that's where, if it's just before the seven, at at the end of every seven years, Whatever debts and stuff that if you were a, a debtor or, a, or if you loaned people money, that had to be forgiven in the seventh year. It just wiped the slate clean. So basically it's saying as if just before the seventh year, you know you're, that's going to be wiped clean because they basically talked about loaning him the money. And so therefore you're never not going to get it back. And so you withhold it because I'm not going to give him the money and then not get it back. So it's it's all motive, basically.
1: Is that why uh,
3: he's saying don't harden your hearts? Because there's this accounting, yes. Over those six years, and you're like, yeah. Over that money don't without. don't
0: withhold it because you're never going to get it back. Because yeah. you you assume when you loan it that you're going to get it back. Hey, it's seven years. Yeah. So it it's basically giving. It's giving up that asset to help somebody and not expecting it to get to get it back. <coughs>
4: It it's said in there you're, you're the, the need, right? The 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 person's need in there. like? Let me there a like a quick scenario. like my, my cousin came and asked me for a loan for his college, right? And and I told him I, I can't do it. I can't give you the hundred and twenty grand, not that I that I don't have it but it saved in investments, but I can't hand that to you because that like lo- for me it was lending to family. If I lend to family I expect it. I'm not gonna get it back because I don't want something to come between family but I but that was such a massive amount of money for me to be able to lend to him with no expectation of receiving it back and it was for him to get his masters right mm-hmm. I didn't see that as a need yep I, I saw that as something that he desired to advance his own career mm-hmm. is there a difference here or should I, I mean maybe I had a totally wrong perspective on that I'm open to that
0: Okay. What do you guys think?
3: I think he's right. There's a difference between a need and a want. Okay. To be able to, I mean, we're we're commanded
5: to provide needs for our family. We're not commanded to give to every want that they have, right?
0: Okay.
2: In situations that way, I've always assumed that if I can't afford to lose it, I probably shouldn't do it.
0: Okay. Anybody else? Okay. So, in in this particular situation, and and I mean, there's probably several right answers, several wrong answers in this. But you know, you're not talking about somebody that's indigent, poor, just needing having basic needs to be covered. Um, So, what that comes down to is. I mean you, you got to pray about it and there's so many other aspects of it that you had to consider um, you know and it sounds like to me it was a, a master's degree probably in, probably not in theology
3: <laughs>
0: it <was certainly> not. <laughs> okay so um, you know so I think I think you know if a person wants a, d- a degree that badly you know are they motivated was he working? All this other stuff. I mean, I think you were okay in the process you went through in determining that it probably wasn't the thing that you needed to do for him at this point in time. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's that's a tough one, especially with family members. So it's, uh, you know, if, if it was a, one of your kids, different deal. I yeah, <laughs> totally diff- totally different deal. So. So. Any other comments about that?
5: I think it's good to recognize that poverty is the absence of opportunity. When somebody has a true need, um, it's a true need because they don't have the opportunity to meet it. themselves. And it, it, they don't have the opportunity to actually meet that need themselves. Can you say that again? Poverty or true need is the absence of opportunity. So, if you have the opportunity to, to meet someone's need and they don't have the opportunity to meet that need, that is a very good endeavor to enter
0: into. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more when we get back to the this section. Uh, you know, storing up treasures in heaven, and how do you do that? What does that mean? What what things can you do to do that? So, that will kind of hit that that subject. On the fringe so i don't think that qualifies but you know we have other circumstances that are similar to that that might so um okay our giving to the church should only be the beginning of our giving not not the limit so you got giving and benevolence these are two areas that we have responsibilities in offerings are used to meet the needs of the poor you minister to christ when you give to the poor here's a couple verses you know to look at Proverbs twenty one thirteen, Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-seven, and Jeremiah twenty-two sixteen. So John three sixteen says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, so because, because God loved, he gave. So love's got to be the motivator here. Our giving, um, and yeah, you you have to look at it as some sort of so also some a, a means of of obligation, but love's got to still be the main motivator. Um, give it, give as as if to the Lord; otherwise, it's only charity. Um, if it is to the Lord, it's an act of worship. So you're worshiping God, basically, in your giving. Acts 20, 20, 35. five, it is more blessed to give than receive. Matthew six twenty one, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you guys have um, a passion? So is your passion with the church? Is your passion something that goes on inside the church? Do you have a passion to help somebody, to pick somebody out that needs help? You need to look for a passion. And, and this could not just be money. It's t- your time. So giving is not God's way of raising money. It's God's way of raising people into the likeness of His Son. Guess what? He doesn't need your money. I mean, he already owns it. He owns everything. He's trying to influence you. 1 Timothy six eighteen and 19. It's instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up, your <coughs> up for yourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Let me, let me read a portion of that again. To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up themselves to the tre- themselves for the treasure of, good, of, of a good foundation for the future. Think about that verse. Proverbs 11, 25. There is one who scatters yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds that is justly due, but it results only in want. What, what's the difference between those two two phrases? The one who scatters yet increases all the more. What's scattering? Sowing seed. What's that?
1: Sowing seed.
0: Yeah, sowing seed. In other words, you're, 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 you're giving away. You're giving. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want that's somebody who's greedy who's not generous the man will be <clears throat> prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered so watering is giving so as you give you end up being a recipient and being watered Psalms 37 21 uh, the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. Okay, take a look at that first. It says the wicked borrows and does not pay back. Okay, so you got borrowing as the subject in the in the first phrase, but it says but, so that means they're linked. The second phrase is linked to the first phrase. The righteous is gracious and gives. There's no talking about borrowing in the second phrase. So what what's the implication here?
3: just don't borrow.
0: That's okay, sounds like. <laughs> okay, okay. If you borrow, it's difficult to give. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, I, that's that's the connection between the two. It seems like they're disconnected, but there is a cause and effect. Is it
1: also saying give yeah, even though you know this I think of the prodigal son, and the father gave right, and then the son bounced, and then when the money ran out, because God was his belly, he was driven toward repentance because he knew that he was living wrong. Um, I have mean a really personal situation
0: That's, that's tough. Any any comments about that?
5: Yeah, it's another issue of stewardship. Yeah. Uh, it really is an issue of stewardship. These resources are the Lord's, and what would be a pleasing use of the Lord's resources uh, to pour it down an avenue where it most likely is going to be used for simple gain or simple experience or to, to redirect it somewhere where it might be used for God honoring
0: yeah I, that's that that one to to me would require much more study and and counseling so yeah um, okay Jim Elliot he his, a quote of his it says he is not a fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose how many of you heard that before I mean that's that's just that's a, a basic principle. Um, what we can keep after life is what we give away during our life. Think about that for a minute. So, in conclusion, basically, some, sometime we read two Corinthians chapters eight and nine. It's very enlightening. That is a that that is a uh two chapters that deal with giving and the principles under the New Testament under Christ go back and spend some time and study those two chapters very very enlightening um, so giving of self you know to the lord it follows that ev- everyone uh, belongs to God, so we know that. We say you have given yourself to Christ. Do you show it in your actions? It says your money is the acid test. If you go back and you and if you do an analysis of your of your finances over the past several months, does it reflect where your heart is? So Second uh, Corinthians eight five, and that's again, you know, in Second Corinthians chapters eight and nine. But eight five, you know, talks about generous giving follows personal dedication. What let, let me let me ask let me, and I think I this may cover this later on, but I just want to bring it up now to be thinking about it. The more you have, the more generous you should be right? So true wisdom with money begins by accepting God's ownership, and that wisdom provides the framework for your financial disciplines. Faithful stewardship promotes good planning, spending, budgeting, investing, and managing God's money. Giving becomes a reflection of what God has done for us. We are the recipients of his grace and he creates in us a desire to be gracious also. Paul expressly said he was not commanding the believer to give. He suggested and encouraged them to give as a way to provide the security of their love. Let them show their love in reality. So that's what I'm saying is that your finances will reflect where your love is. Paul describes giving voluntarily as being obedient, 2 Corinthians 9.13. Uh, giving tests the genuineness of your faith. Okay, here's some key quotes. These are kind of interesting. So we aren't under the law, and the tithe, just as long as we don't use, that is justification for giving less. <clears throat> That's why I think the guy does 11.5%. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. You guys see that true? As being true, it's the only antidote to materialism. Giving 10% is a place to start, not a place to stop. I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all, but whatever I have placed in God's hands, I still possess. When people say I cannot afford to give, ask them if your income was reduced by 10% would you die? No, then you've admitted that you can't afford to give, it's just that you don't want to.
5: Uh,
0: There is more said about money directly or indirectly in scripture than any other subject other than salvation, it's used as, as examples. Okay, here's some key stats. 20% of Christians give 80% of the church's revenue. And that's still true today. Uh, on average, American Christians give 2 to 3% of their income. I, I have to go back and say, okay, what do you define as American Christian?
3: <laughs>
0: so 44% of professing Christians give nothing. And again, what's a... Profession Christian. If you make fifty thousand dollars a year, you are in the top ten percent of the of the world's money earners. That comes down to need and wants. You know, I think our mostly our needs are satisfied and God has is has provided us with our needs, so then we're just dealing with our wants. Okay, next section. How should we give? Um, and I'm just going to run through these. We might take a look at a couple of scripture verses, but let's let's just walk through a couple of these. I think this this gives you the, some of the basic principles on how should we give. So you give first fruits. What does that mean? I've often wondered what does give a first fruits. Proverbs 3:9 says, you know, basically talks about first fruits. What are first fruits? And maybe some of you guys can light me. <laughs>
4: Of the harvest, right?
0: Okay, okay. So the first day, first hour, you know, how much of the first are we talking about? Did you have...
2: Well, I, I was just thinking there in the Bible there's a barley harvest was earlier, wheat harvest was later. It seemed like the, one, one of the feast was with the barley harvest when the 1st in-gathering of harvest.
0: Okay. Okay. Anybody else have any clues?
1: You get that first batch of ripe, ripe strawberries, and they are so tempting, right? Like, wouldn't it be better to give the best, the sweetest things to the Lord?
0: Okay, okay. I, I like that. I like that. What else? Anybody else got any ideas?
5: I always uh, attribute it to giving first, mm-hmm. not at the end of my budget line, but to have it as the... Number one priority.
2: Yeah,
0: and we're going to, a little bit later, we're going to walk through <coughs> how we generally get to what we're giving, and we're going to deal with that. Anybody else?
2: Um, it's also about giving the
1: choice of your, uh, whatever you get first. Okay. It's the best of what you have, that you give.
0: That's okay. How many of you are farmers in here? I
4: was.
0: Okay. Our farmers to make a living. Okay. So it's hard to relate for us, you know, farming and first fruits. So, what is it that we deal with now? Okay. So, for example, you get a raise. Is that first fruits? Is it your first paycheck? Is it your first, what is it? See, I think it's up to each one of us to kind of figure out for ourselves what's first fruit. For example, when I would, if I were to look at it, I would say, okay, if you got a raise, maybe I need to bump my giving from now on because that raise is there from now on. So, I mean, that's how I would kind of look at first fruit and just say, hey, if, if I'm giving... You know, I, you know, I just pick a number $100 a week and I get a raise. Well, I'm going to bump it to $150 a week from now on. I don't know, but I think that's the things that we need to be thinking about. But it says give first fruits.
4: I think about when, like, my. So, I mean, I farmed from the time I was born until I And I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> it was
4: hard. I mean, it really was. And yeah. everything we can. We we were dairy farmers, and and we considered milk per hundredweight, right? And so as soon as we saw a dollar per hundredweight come off of come off of milk prices, we we reevaluated every cost, right? And where 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 is our profit line at now? And so and so I can see how if you say if you if you put into your and I don't want to make this you know uh, an equation or trade or anything, but if you put into first. Hey, okay, we're gonna give, not hey. How much does our feed cost, right? And sitting there and watching, watching your feed stock versus your versus your hundredweight of milk, and sitting there. But if you put giving in there first, boy, what what a what an interesting part of that a, a change in that equation all of a sudden, right? Because because all of a sudden, giving goes from being hey, whatever's left over, now we can decide what to give out of. And making it actually a part of the equation of our total of our total cost outlay, and I don't want to make it part of a business uh, calculation, but we certainly didn't do that. I mean, we certainly yeah. didn't look at, at, at giving as a giving of of the actual actual cost of doing business. We looked at it as what's what's left there out of the income. Now we can give out of the
3: income. Yeah, yeah, that's like kind of like what Josh said and what uh, Kenny said. I found in my own life that there's a temptation to kind of lower the giving <clears throat> when my income is lower, right? And I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, but in my own heart, I found that it's a lack of trust in the Lord. And so when I've, I've just said, you know what, God's going to provide, I'm going to stick with the percent that I had in my head, um, He always provides. Yeah. And it's just, it's a huge blessing. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have to be a lot. Yeah consistency is uh, is
0: important. Consistency, absolutely. And if you think about it, consistency is important to the church Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because, you know, the church has got fixed expenses, payrolls to take care of, and stuff like that. That doesn't change. It's there every single week. And so consistency is important that, that funds come in in order to be able to cover those expenses. You don't want this. Okay, give proportionately, First Corinthians 16, 2. Um, proportionately, what does that mean? It's according to your ability. Uh, give sacrificially, Second Corinthians 8, Eight 2 and 3. Um, let's read that. Somebody Would somebody pull, pull that up real quick and read it?
5: The first
0: First, Second Corinthians 8 2 and 3
5: in a greater deal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave of their own accord
0: <clears throat> ok so give sacrificially um, how do you give sacrificially? What is that verse telling us?
2: They may have gone without something that they wouldn't have had otherwise.
0: Okay. All right. How, do you, how, how else do you give sacrificially? Let's, let's break the verse down. Let's take a look at the verse real quick. You know, the liberality was the uh, verse 2, which is generosity. Okay, so the, out, of, out of their generosity... Um, and then when you look at verse three there's three elements of giving you got according to their ability giving is proportionate not fixed um, amount or percentage so it's it was basically based on their their on their ability and then the next phrase says beyond their ability so that means they went past that and on their own accord, voluntarily, not out of compulsion or manipulation or intimidation. So when you give sacrificially, one, one way to, to give sacrificially is to give something up. It's, it's a rearrangement of your priorities. It comes back to that phrase or that quote that I talked about, if, if, you, if you had a reduction of 10% of your income, would you die? So it's a rearrangement of what you have, Uh, it could be a change in lifestyle. So to give sacrificially, you look at your lifestyle, where am I wasting, Um, or how it could be more frugal, Um, it could be a forfeiture of something valued, you could be selling something, give up an asset or two, and and it's it's not emptying your garage or closet with unused items I mean that's that's house cleaning that's all that is <laughs> so 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 yeah 2 second Corinthians 8 2 and three I mean it's that's, that's give sacrificially it doesn't necessarily mean all the time it means when there's a, especially when there's a need go over go over and above okay give regularly first Corinthians 16 2 consistent regularly Proportionately, give cheerfully, Acts 20, 35, and 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Here's a key one right here, guys. Give quietly, Matthew 6, 1. It says, There's great joy in giving, for we are not merely fulfilling a basic responsibility, but in truth are opening our hearts to the goodness of God. It is in such giving that we become generous people. It is in such giving that we become grateful people. Instead, or indeed, it is in such giving that we become godly people. So, really important part is to go through the process and you eventually get to the giving part and that to me is the litmus test right there. Okay, so We've covered those aspects. The The next one is, is where's your money going? And this is kind of a, I, I, I would take a whole hour class to go through this, but I'm going to walk through this fairly quickly. You know, there's different methods recording your expenditures and keeping track of and how do you do it, you know, what format do you use and so on and so forth. Um, you know on on this particular case we talk, we sat down and we talked about begin by keeping track of your expenditures in five major categories and that's that's kind of what I want to spend a few minutes with is to talk about these five major categories you got you got giving and offering taxes savings debt payments and spending and then spending you'll see below that is broken down in those into, into those other categories and again the reason why you want to find out where your money's going is how do you come up with a plan to determine if you need to make some changes. So this is the first step, is that you've got to got to be able to, to kind of keep track of what's going on. It doesn't mean that every expenditure for the entire year has got to be a, accounted for. Sometimes I just tell people, do a sample. Take two or three months. Accumulate that. Add it up and take a look and see what what, what have you done. What did you do during that three month period of time? That's probably a pretty good reflection of the entire year. So. It's just a matter of getting to a point where you can come up with a plan. Without a plan, you know you're not going to know what what you need to change, what you need to take a look at, what you need to be praying about. So anyhow, we will go through these these five categories. There there is a reason why we have these five categories the way we have them. But let's talk about let's talk about these five. I want I want you guys to help prioritize each one based on. What's fixed? What is a requirement? Let's put them on the, on the board. So, okay, and let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Let's take, let's take the first one, which I, nobody can deny this, and that is that something that's fixed that you generally don't have much that you can do about is taxes. So taxes is the first thing that comes out of your paycheck. And there's a reason why that comes out of your paycheck first. Okay? So that's money that you don't get to touch. Now, you might get get refunds because you overpaid them. But I'm not talking talking about that. I'm talking about the taxes. So the first item is taxes. What's the second obligation that you can't change? Right away. Right away. Okay? All right. Third.
2: Spending, you got to get food. you
0: got to have a house. <clears throat> guys have 401Ks? Yeah. Comes out of your paycheck? So last one. So generally that's how we operate. We cover we cover our plans are usually
5: well we cover these things right here and then whatever's left over.
0: So what do you guys think about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very
4: pragmatic. Definitely other piercing real quick.
0: Okay. So which of these can you change?
5: Spending, reasonable. those.
0: So what you change or what you can manage are those. So if you want to affect this, you got to go back to these three. That's why you come up with a plan. You come up with a plan. I need to reduce my debt because I can't give right now because of this. So you come up with a plan. How do I get, take, get this down so that I can So that's basically kind of what we did in our class that we'd walk through. We would have percentages set up for under spending categories and give range of percentages to be looking at. And it changes, for, it's different for everybody. We had lar- large ranges for some of these items. Let me give kind of give you an idea. Food 10 to 15 percent, transportation 10 to 15 percent, housing 25 to 38 percent. So it's those type of percentages you would look at to, to, to be a litmus test for what, what are you spending. Um, and you know another thing that we're going to talk about too is is standard of living and what if you make $100,000 do you, is your standard of living at $100,000? Mm-hmm. It probably should not be because then when you start doing that, you're dealing with this. So so, improving your stewardship begins with recognizing exactly where you are now. Proverbs 27:23. And again, Old Testament is so good with with money. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. That's just a matter of recording and understanding where your funds are going. Uh, so you got to look at it and say, ask yourself, how can I become a better steward? if you cannot tell me where you are now, how can anyone tell you where you need to be? It says you need to know where you are on a map to know where, what, what route to go to get your desired destination. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. By wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established and by knowledge the rooms are filled. That's just a matter of Basic management. So this is more learn, learn. You learn about your spending habits; the better you are and be able to be to make necessary changes. So, this is to me this is the key right here. In being able to make changes, is understanding where you are with that. Okay, the Bible does not dictate one particular standard of living for everyone. Scripture does provide principles that we should consider. And these principles, again, are all over the Old Testament. So you, go, go, you generally go through the process to record and figure out where you are and what you're spending. And some of you guys know where every dime is going. And that's good because you are paying attention and you need to, need to know that in order to be able to, to make changes. Okay, so then, then you figure out where you are, and then you also all of a sudden want to come up with a plan. So what do you do with that? How do you go through that process? So without a plan we become reactors and, and responders rather than action initiators. So you you guys need to control this and figure out what your plan is. And it's up to you to come up with it. Now, your spouse is going to provide you with a lot of information and a lot of input and so but it's up to you to basically sit down and say okay let's talk about doing this or doing this changing this or changing that so um, you know so the idea is that you need to plan wisely develop a financial plan which has a purpose and direction that honors God and provides for your needs. We cannot separate our finances from our daily walk with Christ because financial decisions are spiritual decisions now. It's stuff that you need to be praying about. When our finances are under control, our Christian ministry has a better chance to grow. When you guys are under financial pressure, what happens with your Christian walk? I mean, I've had that happen before. You get bogged down. You can't do the things that you need to be doing. But our lives out of balance. So if your financial situation is out of balance, um, Because of for financial planning and management, the potential exists for us to lose our effective witness for Christ. So if you're unable to pay your debts, what happens? Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. That's going to be the emphasis in basically managing your finances. Setting goals. A goal is a simple measure measurable objective towards which you believe God wants you to move so Ephesians 3.20 he is able to do immeasurable more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us so yeah it's just um, you, you got to set goals and then you got to pray about it and, and and again when you set goals and you decide on what you think needs to be done in your finances, you need to go to, go to prayer for that. And for lack of, love, of a better word, be demanding with God. He expects you to, to, to be basically fervent in your prayers with Him and ask Him, I expect you to take care of this and help me with this. It may not be the way you planned it when it when it turns out, but it's better for better going to be in the long run better for you. But you know, we are told to be fervent in our prayers. By setting goals, you are forced to think through and study exactly what your financial objectives are, as set forth in Scripture. Each and every goal needs prayer and consideration. Proverbs 6, 13, 16, 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Proverbs 16:9. In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. You have, but see, you still have to plan the course. Now he may make the steps different, the Lord, but you got to do the planning. So, man plans his course. Plan your course. But the Lord determines his steps. He will then determine your steps. So there's a progression there. A goal must be measurable so you know if it is if, if it's been accomplished. Recording your income and expenses will help you measure how you are doing in relation to your goals. Written goals make us more accountable and provide personal motivation. How, how many of you want to be accountable? It's not in our nature, I mean, but it's something that I think we all have to force ourselves to do uh, when you have identified written down your goals you then can develop a plan and implement it setting goals provides an opportunity to pray about spending decisions so you, you've got to sit down and pray about spending decisions and one way to do that is you set goals that forces you to pray Planning is a roadmap to achieve your goals, Proverbs 1921. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And again, you plan, and then you have then the Lord's purpose will prevail. Maybe different than your plan, so be it. You guys have it in your handout. I think you've got a next in your handout? Is there questions? Yeah. Why might you be reluctant in continuing to record your income and expenditures to see where you are now? Okay, so what makes you reluctant?
2: No,
5: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: Oh, a few years ago, I went through something where you know I literally didn't have the money, right? And so, um, and I, I was pretty good with it, but I had situations where like there was just whatever you know got allowed, and um, so I just actually didn't even budget for about a year. I was just like, forget it. <laughs> it's just I can't do it. Um, uh, and so then I just was it you know, that was one of my things, just frustration of not
0: having, you know, that wasn't a good decision. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the reluctancy is that hey, how many of you want to see your mistakes uh, and your errors? So, you know, that's, that's one reason why we don't want to record it. It could be laziness,
3: too. Yeah, could be. To time to do it. <laughs>
0: think about that think about why 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 are you reluctant the number number 2 is what keeps you from setting goals for your finances you know i mean the first thing that comes to mind is accountability now you're writing down what you're accountable for it's hard to unwrite it so you know that's that comes to mind anybody else have any any other thoughts on that one
4: i think in in this day and age i mean you think about social media, That also, as in, like, hey, here's here's how well <coughs> I'm doing, and, and so we don't want to reduce our standard of living because we we there's a there's a pressure to create a perception about ourselves. And yeah. I think, that, I think That's yeah. a That's a pressure. If you if you set if you set goals, all of a sudden that may mean a reduction in I'm gonna well I'll call it the standard of living, but a reduction in the. In the extracurricular things,
0: I guess. The things are not, that are not essential. Like, it's harder. Yep. yep. I, this, for guys, going through this process is not part of our nature, it seems like. It's difficult to go through this. So, okay, so what risk do you take when you set up a plan to achieve your goals? What risk do you take? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's hard to ask directions. <laughs> so, 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 are you prepared to re-examine your goals uh, periodically and modify them if necessary? You know it, that takes time. How many of you like to sit down and record all your expenditures? <laughs> Just shoot me now. <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah.
3: It's, really not it's like hard. the
0: plumber fixing his own plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, are you willing to take risks? You know, all of it's at risk, you know, from the standpoint of of having to commit time, energy, and, you know, uh, in things that, that's just, there's other things we'd rather do, type of. Thing type of situation but it, but this is pretty critical so, so don't let fear, time constraints, lack of knowledge or the discomfort of staying accountable to a plan paralyze your activities
3: just about the risk. one thing that was really helpful to me was seeking counsel from other people um, and usually I don't have a problem asking questions but when I had to put certain things on display it was, it was a little tough but that really helped me. Just kind of, there were things that I just didn't know that some of these guys had been making decisions with money that were really helpful. Yeah. So then, by God's grace, I was able to attack it again.
0: Yeah.
3: I had to see the fruit of it. Yeah. See what else more. One
0: area that you
3: counsel is big, Is right there,
0: Yeah. I've got books here, a whole pile of them. I mean, you guys can look at them after class. And some of them maybe out of out of uh, print, but it, Larry Burkett is one of the big art, big authors and all this stuff. And his big deal is eliminating debt. Mm-hmm. That's that's counsel that you need to look at to help with that area because that is so difficult. Mm-hmm. But there's ways of doing it, and so that would be one area to seek counsel on.
1: Um, so that's like a risk to our pride. Yes. Sharing. Are are is that what you're referring
0: to? Willing you take some risks, or are you saying invested? Well, y- yeah, your pride, um, the risk of failure, the risk of of you know not being disciplined, under, uh, coming to the, to that realization that I'm not disciplined. I can't. I am having a hard time doing this. The pr- the pride and or the the idea of somebody it's, it's like how many of us like to stop and ask for directions and seek counsel you know that's, that goes contrary to our, our nature is, is, is to expose yourself to somebody else of the, of the mess you've got and to, in order to get advice so it's, it's a lot of that stuff let me, let me kind of read some of the things here that, that are reasons why we have a hard time. Um, okay, examining how we've spent God's money can bring feelings of guilt when we think of our past mistakes. Um, in order to plan, you must know where you are now. Financially, you must record your income and disbursements to know what needs to change to accomplish God's goals. So guess what? Change. We get stuck in a groove. We don't like getting out of that groove, we're comfortable there. Change just is not easy. A lack of planning presents the possibility of our inability to reach our God-given goals and potential. So if you don't plan, you can't get there. Many do not want to plan because a plan places limits on us and makes us accountable. The accountability is huge. Uh, How many of you volunteer for for accountability? (laughs) You don't. Planning provides an opportunity to to pray about spending decisions. And I think the planning part puts you in the position where you have to pray about it because you feel out of control. Okay. Let's move on to the next category which is debt. Okay. So in our society today, what is debt used for? Give me a list. Pleasure.
5: Hmm?
0: Okay. Housing. So credit cards. What what else? Housing. Housing. Your home? What else? Cars. School. Cars? School. Okay?
2: Living higher
0: a living higher than you should. Okay. What else?
2: Food.
0: What's that? Food. Food. Okay. Back to credit cards, I guess. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what else?
5: Investment.
0: Yes. Investment loans. Okay. Posturing. What?
4: Posturing. Posturing. Yeah, like socially posturing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I, I hear you. It's it's that standard of living pushing that up. What else? What about cosigning? Okay. So, that's what debt's used for. Now, the Bible deals with biblical principles on debt. It does not give you do's and don'ts. It doesn't say debt's not right or or not, not acceptable. Okay, but it will give you some principles on how to, to respond to death. So the princi- a biblical principle, is the biblical guide to keep you on God's path and out of the world's traps. So that's why we need to pay attention to it. Principles are given to us uh, clear as us clearly within, out within God's path, so that we can experience His His blessings. To ignore them puts, in, puts us in a constant state of jeopardy in which Satan can cause us to stumble at any time. So how many of you guys have stumbled because of that? <laughs> okay. Proverbs 23, twenty-two, three: A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for him. So, There's there's not a verse directing God's people not to borrow money. However, does Scripture encourage borrowing? No. No. Scripture permits and regulates borrowing with much warnings and precautions. Borrowing is not promoted and it is not prohibited. However, Scripture does teach about the undesirability of debt. Debt should be a last resort. Principles, Proverbs 22.7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. How many of you guys feel like a slave when you borrow? Exactly. So, uh, Psalms 37.21, the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious, gracious and gives. And we talked about that one before. It hinders your giving. Proverbs 21.5, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Giving up today's desires. Okay, let's talk about this. What is debt trying to accomplish? When you, when you go into debt, let, let's just talk about credit cards. So if you're not managing your credit card spending, uh, and that's growing, and you're not keeping up with it, what, what have you essentially done? You've given up future benefit for gain today. Okay? All right. So what's the opposite of that? Okay. Yep, yep. So give up today's desires for future benefit. That's what that's what the credit card thing is all about.
2: One thing that the guy asked, financial said something, that stuck with me, I'll say it for what it's worth. But she said, you know, your liquidity will come and go, your value will come and go, but your debt will never go away. <laughs> I
0: don't
2: know why that is really...
0: Th- that's interesting. That's uh, I mean, you got to think about that, but that's... Mm-hmm. That is interesting. So, what generally happens is that when you give up something today... What you receive in the future for that, for example, let me use use this as an example. When you you graduate from high school and you decide whether you're going to go to college or not, and college is for some and college is not for some, but generally if you have a person that has the ability to be able to go to college and get a degree, you're giving up four years worth of income, you're giving up time, you're giving up a lot in order to get that degree. When you're done, generally, when you're done and you have a, you now have a profession that you got a degree in, what happens in the future? Generally, you, your standard of living will probably be a little higher because you now have a profession. But you gave up 4 years so you give up something now to gain something in the future and then what you gain in the future is generally more than you gave up in the in the present so debt is the opposite it steals from your present i mean it it, it prevent it, it provides you with something in the present and you give up give it up in the in the future so so w- the way i look at it is that is that if you give up something now You generally will benefit from that many times over in the future. So, so if you save your money now, you may be able to retire early. Those type of things. And in order to save the money, you have to give up spending it. So you you see what I'm saying? Okay.
3: Would you ever say there's a healthy debt?
0: A healthy it might
3: sound like an oxymoron, but I don't. Well,
0: well yeah, that—that that was the first thing that came to mind. I mean, you know, how many people can buy a house and pay cash? Mm-hmm. You know, especially when you're starting off. I mean, it's you know, so there's a there's a purpose and a reason for debt, but it's managing it. Right. You know, it's not overbuying and going, you know. Over. I, I used to have a boss who used to tell me. He'd say, you know, if, if you're looking at a new house. Overspend, overbuy because that'll motivate you to earn more money. What? (laughs) They, yeah. It's so it's it's like, well, you know that doesn't that just doesn't set well. (laughs) So, (laughs) so so so, so giving up today's desires for future uh, benefit, Um, and and you got this buy now pay later. Attitude out there, um, you know. Here's another phrase that has stuck in my mind: "Act your wage." Act your, wages. Act your wage. Um, okay, diligent, done with the careful, steady um, effort preserving and, and being careful so you know it's it, what it comes down to is that there's a place for debt but you just have to you have to be really careful and go slow and a lot of prayer a lot of prayer um, you know I, I always taught my kids on credit cards you know they say don't have credit cards well if you manage credit cards properly you know it, it it could be to your advantage in the proper way this basic thing is is that do not put anything more in your credit card that you can't pay off in, the, in the, when it comes due you pay the whole thing off and and basically credit card is nothing more than a, than a checking account and that's how you treat it I'm not going to spend any more than what I have in that checking account so I have to make sure I have the money in the checking account to pay for the credit card so I mean, how many people use cash nowadays? How many people write checks nowadays? It's it's just it's going away. So so the, the and you have the debit card that replaces it. You got to be careful with the debit card too. So um, when you have fraud on a credit card on a debit card, it's hard to get it replaced. So just watch out for that. Okay. Um, How much time we got? Are we done at uh, 9 o'clock? 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock? Okay. Okay. I've got a lot of verses here um, on your handout. Spend some time and go back and, and look at those. You know, because scripture spends a lot of time talking about borrowers and and debtors, there are both. So it's basically saying that, you know, there will be both, the borrower and the debtor. It gives you principles on basically both sides. The side that you don't want to be on is the borrower when it's not necessary. Okay, um, The very bottom part of the handout It says what is sinful side of debt It's again Looking for instant gratification Coveting something you cannot afford Debt is often the symptom Of a much deeper spiritual problem Therefore the root problem Must be Dealt with first And again This robs From that Okay, the, uh, the next uh, page is uh, 10 Biblical Principles from the Bible as far as, uh, you know, God's the source. Uh, give to show your gratitude and stewardship. It's okay to save for the future. Uh, minim- minimize debt. Be content. Set goals. All these, all these items we went through and talked about from the standpoint of what's in Scripture. And again, spend some time and go back and go look at it if you want to to see what, your, uh, um, what you find, what you see. Okay, here are some key questions. I wanted to get to this part. I want to make sure we had some time to, to cover this. Does the Bible say money is evil?
5: No. 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 The love of it.
0: Um but money itself is not evil. And Deuteronomy 14, 20, 24, money can be used to honor God. Is it possible to both follow God and make money? And make money? Okay. Um, so you should use money. Don't serve it. Money makes a good servant to those who have the right master. That's why we went through the master part. And money makes a terrible master. Um, is it, or is it right for Christians to have material positions and enjoy them?
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, Read Ecclesiastics. In fact, go through uh, Smedley's series on his preaching on Ecclesiastics. Ecclesiastics. The, the key is is that you don't put this stuff ahead of God. Is it, is it right to own certain possessions for personal enjoyment? Kind of the same question. You know, we're, we're we're here to enjoy the earth, even though it's not our residence, our main, you know, you know, we're, we're citizens of heaven. We're here temporarily. But still, the earth was placed here for our enjoyment. So it doesn't mean that you put it ahead of God. You've got to make sure that you're where your priority is. <coughs> So how much can we safely keep? It's
5: going to look
1: different
3: for
0: everyone. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let me read John Piper's quote. The issue is not how much a person makes. Big industry and big salaries are a fact of our times and they are not necessarily evil. The evil is in being deceived into thinking a 100,000 salary must be accompanied by a $100,000 lifestyle. God has made us to be conduits of His grace. The danger is thinking that the conduit should be lined with gold. It shouldn't. Copper will do. Those who happen to be rich simply as a result of circumstances, hard work or wisdom have done nothing wrong. They must not withhold their riches, which are which are really God's from kingdom causes including. Helping the needy. So it comes down to that same that same thing that we talked about before, and that is that the more you have, the more you should be giving. Okay, is savings ever wrong? No. Okay. So if you go back and you can look at Proverbs, you know, six talks about the ant. Um Look at Joseph during the times of famine. It it depends on what's going on. Um, so, w- what's reasons to save and reasons not to save? One Tim? of
5: the reasons to save is so that you can give.
0: So you can give.
5: Above and beyond your regular giving. Okay. If there's a large one time need for something else. Yep. Okay. What else? Oh.
0: Emerge- emergencies. Right. Okay. Something happens. What else? And, and again, what's do's and don'ts? I mean, what, what's what's good about it, or what's not good?
3: For your children, saving for your children's future.
0: Okay. All right.
3: Sto- store up like the man who stored up the you know the grain in his barns, and um he, he was taken away from him. you know greed. There you
0: go. Okay. Greed. Exactly. You know you, you're saving because you're you're greedy. You just. You, you. But what, what? What? How do you determine the difference between greed and saving for retirement?
2: Well, if your goal is to be a millionaire, if that's all it is, is just. I'd like to be a millionaire. Then, then that could be a. a greedy one.
0: Too. Okay. Okay. It depends who the
5: object of the the. the the reason why you're saving, what is the purpose for it? Yeah. If you're saving for um, your own pleasures, and your own expenditures, uh, to be done in a way that, that is not to advance the kingdom, to be done in a way that does not advance the gospel. Mm-hmm. You need to think carefully about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what about saving for fear? which in ta- in, which, basically is not depending on God.
2: Sounds the opposite of Matthew 6. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yep.
3: Because so, I, mean, I know I'm going to have to go into debt to buy a house, so I'm saving now to try and minimize that debt when the time comes.
0: There you go. There you go. So it's up to each person to take a look at the reasoning and your motive behind behind savings I mean it's it's just up to each one of you to do that um, and again proverbs generally encourages savings but you got to look at the motive and savings needs to be secondary to giving Okay now here's here's the big question. How can you convert your earthly treasures to heavenly treasures? How do you do that? Give me some examples.
4: Hold okay. to, if you're taking this
5: from me. I believe it's for my good and your
0: okay mm-hmm.
5: It's giving you the cause of the gospel like the pastor was just saying. Yeah.
0: okay. Missions? What else?
2: Yeah, yeah. 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 is every time you do it quietly?
3: Say what?
2: Every time you do
1: it quietly when you get elected?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
3: oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry. Yeah.
0: No, it's just, it's it's not. It, 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 what comes to mind is the, what was it, a scribe that stood up and boasted about his giving? Mm-hmm. So, go ahead.
3: Piggybacking off of that, I was just thinking that verse that says, you know, delight yourself in the Lord, look at the desires of your heart, right? You know, that's the only way our heart can change for Him is delighting in Him, which comes from Him.
0: Yep. So. yeah, yeah. Anybody have any other examples? What about, um, like I had mentioned before, coming up with a passion that you support. The uh, and I mean I'm, I'm. just um how should I put this I just want to bring this up because this is something that you know I think that the uh, the church is hopefully going to get more involved with and that is that you know we've got um high school kids that are getting ready to go to college and there is one university that you know and in, in, in my opinion is one of the last true bible colleges in the United States. They haven't bowed to the, the pressures of social correctness at all. And that's Masters University. So, you know, throwing funds at these kids to help them go to that college.
5: And, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. okay, set of priorities with giving as far as like local church, parish church ministries, missionaries outside the body, every local church. That's Great right.
0: question. Great question. What do you guys think?
4: I think it depends on the individual. Um, you know, Jen and I, so I, I'm bonus monthly. So my salary, we have a specific portion that comes out of the salary for um, for for this church, then the bonus we take a percentage, and that is cut between um, between PNG benevolence and other missions, and that's how we treat it. The, you know, we know that we'll always out of the bonus be able to support the PNG stuff, and then the additional stuff that could be there, we'll, it goes to. I think it depends on the individual. There's not everybody in this room that's bonus month, right? Most are not. But I think it's that's why I think it depends on the individual.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What 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 do, what do the elders say?
5: It's good to recognize that that a a church has operating expenses. Every year we we have a meeting, we have one. I guess about a month ago, where we shared the, with the church about six weeks ago, something like that. And um, it's good to recognize that a lot of the benefit that, that our families derive from this, this building and everything that takes place here costs money. I mean, um, it's, it's a nice 74 degrees in here right now. And, and we can tell you how much that costs for. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 everybody else. and but there, there's <laughs> men who, who labor hard um, to teach us and to um, instruct us in things that are infinite, of infinite value to us and it is really good to honor that we, we read in First Timothy 5 give double honor to those whose task it is to preach and to teach and we have four men who are exceptionally skilled at that and we don't want them to be muzzled in their, uh, their requirement to provide for their family uh, because we're lenient with them or we're, we're, we're light on them here. We want them to be able to excel all the more at, at serving us uh, and not have to worry about a side job delivering pizzas because we decided to use them, or because our pile of work was small. So it's good to recognize that there is immediate benefit to, to all of us um, from the operations. That should
0: have some bearing on, on where that sits as you think about your giving. Any
5: other thoughts? I mean, mm-hmm. go ahead. Um,
0: You know, I think if you go back in the New Testament and you look at that, you see that they gave money to Paul for his travels and stuff like that. But their primary responsibility was to their church. So to me, if you just follow the New Testament, our primary responsibility is to the church. And that's where the regular, consistent, proportionate you know, amounts come. Then what do you do after that? You know, is it is it come out of abundance that you do other stuff? You know, the the, the missions to me is kind of a part of the church. So what you're doing in, in, in missions through our church is part of that. Um, I mean, uh, let me ask you this. Let's go take this a step further. What do you do about giving to how many how many of you guys see these uh, commercials you know um, where you have hospitals for children that have cancer what do you do about all that stuff what do you do about goodwill you know where you've got uh, food banks so on and so forth those are hard, those are hard questions to deal with you know, but I think our primary responsibility is to the church, and then I think it's it, it's in the abundance and or the sacrificial that you, you know, maybe step outside of that. But again, I think, you know, I think it's towards the church. You know, and there's there's parachurches. There's a ton of those. I mean, I mean, I, I used to do tax returns, and I'd see list this long of all the parachurches that people would give to, and I'd sit there and say, okay, well, how much went to the to their church? Very little. And it was like, why? Mm-hmm. You're being fed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but then again, it's it's up to each individual to kind of decide that. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff tugging at every one of us. And it's it's difficult to to sort through, but I think if you stick with the church's primary and then look to other other things, so I mean I don't know. Tell me, tell me what you guys what you guys do. What was that? So tell me what you guys do. What do you do with it, with this area?
3: Sticking with the percentages has helped me. Yeah. Because I think Kenny started that one out. Yeah, uh, just literally. This is first. This is the first route. Yeah. Then I worry about my budget. Yeah. yeah. that helps me stay
4: on track.
5: Yeah.
4: Yeah. A years ago, um, I, I noticed um, in myself just not not a stinginess, but just a uh, <coughs> I'll call it airhead thinking. Just not and forgetting my check, forgetting to bring you know. When I, when I come to church, so I, I set up automatic giving. and um, because what happened was I would be, as I would look at my, specifically when I do my taxes, I look at my tax return, my accountant would hand me back what I had given, and I would see out of one side I, it, what you talked about. All of a sudden, here's all these parachurch things, mm-hmm. and here's my church. And I mean, I just, it was convenient. To be a joyful giver, and yeah. I had somebody that came to me and said, "Oh, automatic giving is not being a joyful giver." And I said, "No, no, I, I <laughs> absolutely <laughs> disagree <laughs> with you. Yeah, yeah, I have to. My <laughs> automatic giving, yeah. where it comes out of my checking account every month, yeah. it, it it makes me a joyful giver. Mm-hmm. It really does. And, and I understand there's people on either side of that, people who want to actually physically hand it to the church. But for me, it was incredibly important to make that." every consistently it's going to happen
0: yeah we plan for it Yeah. so um i guess we're at the end so um hopefully it's beneficial for you guys it's uh, kind of a broad brush um but uh yeah i mean i think uh, i think i I had fun going through it again even though a little nerve-wracking (laughs)
4: where <laughs> do we get the
0: not so, What's that? Or where do we get the not condensed version? The not condensed version? Uh, You've got to talk to the elders about that. <laughs> 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 no. And what was interesting is that we would go through scenarios. I mean, we would actually have back then. We had flip the flip boards, <laughs> but we'd have we'd have scenarios where we actually had dollars for each category, each item. And we'd have the class go through and analyze that person, say, okay, where can improvement be made here? So, what I'm not doing is, I'm not saying, you know, okay, let's put your information up here and let's analyze it. What we're doing is, we're taking case, you know, test cases, you might say. And in some cases, it helped people because they could see, well, I'm kind of in that situation. And so, I think that was something that really helped a lot, just to look at that. And we took a variety. Those that had a lot of income and that, those had very little income, so, yeah?
5: Dave, when we did that class back at Valley, um, I remember you, you guys sent out an email with like a spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet yeah. with like a pre-populated budget formula. Yep, yep. I mean, Laney and I went through that we didn't have any kids. That was helpful, you know? We were trying to navigate budgeting apps. And, yeah.
0: Um, so it, was, it looked like now you got kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it changes right. doesn't yeah. it yeah Yeah. yeah. But, no, yeah.
5: It was, that was helpful Yeah. Just thank you Yeah. knowing what to look for
0: yeah. yeah so okay guys um, Matt why don't you close in prayer and we'll be on our way
5: Lord God I thank you again for Dave for the wisdom you've given him the time that he spent preparing this lesson Lord help us to go home and and not forget it, but, but sit down, take the time, change our hearts and our position towards the things that you've given us, Lord. Help us to um, use those well, uh, to glorify you, to give well, to to not be constrained by the, the desires that, that tug at us, but to, to be disciplined, Lord. In your name, amen. amen.